Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. Six minutes after the hour, it is 7.06, and it is 73 degrees here on Peachtree Street in Midtown Atlanta. Good morning. It's Green and Growing on your radio live with you until 9 o'clock this morning. And, man, that extra hour of sleep I got today as opposed to Monday through Friday when the alarm goes off at 3.18. I'm one of those people that can't set the alarm at, like, a normal time it has to be some off time so then it's set for 4 12 on saturdays that extra hour of sleep is really really good so i hope you slept well hope you're waking up well enjoying the coffee breakfast whatever the plans are for the weekend kids sporting events uh farmer's market wherever you're headed good morning 404-872-0750 is the number to call to get on the show 7.30, Becky Griffin is going to call in, tell us about the Great Southeast Pollinator Census. 8 o'clock, Dr. David Coyle from Clemson University driving here right now. He'll be in studio for the last hour of the show. We'll talk to you about invasives and things you should plant versus things he does not want you to plant. Uh, and he'll take calls as well. So, And I'm going to do that right now, 404 872 or hit me up on Facebook. Oh, if you get on Facebook, and I know all of you are this morning, you wake up, you see your little notifications, you open it, you scroll, see what you missed overnight, uh, you can message the page right there. Search Green and Growing WSB, send me a message, a picture of something you have a question about. Uh, up next is Debbie calling from Roswell. Good morning, Debbie. Welcome to the show. Good morning. I am the same as you. I set my alarm for a weird time. <laughs> why is it? Like, Can you explain why we do that? I don't know. I don't know. Me neither, but it just I feels feel like weird. I feel like it'll make me wake up better. I don't know. Yeah, or like it gives me, in my mind, I guess I'm like, well, 412, so that's somehow giving me 12 extra minutes. I don't know. Oh, to me, it gives me an edge. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm getting up three minutes earlier than I would otherwise. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not the only one that does that. Thank you. I know, me too. <laughs> me too. So our blueberry bushes are doing very well. Good. We cover them with mosquito netting every year. Um, instead of cheesecloth, because it does not, it keeps the, the holes in the mosquito netting, keep the branches and leaves from poking through. Yeah. And so it's less of a nightmare to take it off when the blueberries are done. So we've picked our last blueberry, and I feel like we need to prune these bushes. We've kind of avoided that job over the past couple of years, and now we need to prune them. Yeah. You can't reach the top branches. It's just difficult, more difficult to cover them to keep the birds out of the, the berries. And this year, I think they got, we, we've noticed um, some of the branches are brown and they have no leaves on them. And I think they got hit by that double frost. Yep, in, ma- which is, in March. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is fine. Um, but do we cut those branches? 
Yes. When do we when do we prune? Yeah, if they have absolutely no new growth on them whatsoever, cut those canes, remove them all the way down to the base for sure. Um, now's a good time to shape them up a little bit. Like uh, the county extension agent where I am, Cherokee County, Josh Fooder was like, get that done by like the beginning of August, you know, some pruning. But if you want to do some really, you know, rejuvenative type pruning, uh, winter is a good time to do that when they're dormant. And at, once they're established, you know, and yours are, they've reached at least four to six feet in height. So yeah, it's a oh, good yeah. idea to kind of start, you're right, to, to make it to where it's manageable. So a cane renewal is kind of what they call that pruning. And, and don't overthink it really. First, you're just cutting out the things that are dead. Like I said, you can do a little bit now, but if you just want to massively reshape them in the wintertime, uh, cane renewal. So really removing one to three of the largest canes each winter. Um, maybe from 24 inches from ground level, maybe like overall, you're kind of stepping back, you're removing about 20% of it. That should probably be good because all the new growth is going to come from where you've made pruning cuts and it's just going to kind of reinvigorate the plant. But for right now, yeah, cut what's gangly, cut what's definitely dead. Um, and that's a, that's a great idea to do that. And, and it's not even something you need to do every year. I mean, the, you know, extension recommends you do it every year, but I don't. I, I did it once in four or five years to mine, and they were fine. But yeah, that March freeze was really, really brutal when that killed out a number of canes. They're not going to, you know, re regrow any new leaves. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We and enjoy them. What, uh, what fertilizer, if any, do you do? <laughs> None. See? Yeah, I love that. Our acidic None. soil here in Georgia is really, really good for blueberries. It's Almost like we should be the blueberry state and not the peach state because blueberries grow so well here. And I think we're the number one producer of blueberries. And peaches well, are hard. Peaches, have you ever done those? No. Ah, no, we don't so get good. enough sun. I feel very, very thankful that we get as many as we do because our backyard gets um, bakes, mm -hmm. but then it doesn't get enough sun. But what sun it does get is the brutal, most brutal part of the day. But not, it's just not enough of not, not enough sun. Yeah, blueberries seem to be, like, especially established plants seem to be a little more tolerable of shade, for sure. Like, if you're trying to get one to grow, it needs full sun, but the bigger and older they get, and then, you know, if they're in the landscape, and the trees, of course, are getting bigger every year, they seem right. to still just, they tolerate it very well. So, good job, Debbie. I think you're doing great. Thank oh, you. did you, you get on my Facebook page and see the recipe I shared for blueberry salsa? No, we could not do anything like that because they get eaten so quickly at breakfast. Well, that's good. <laughs> so no prep <laughs> yeah, we don't work required. Have, we, right. We don't have many plants. I think there's three bushes that we are able to cover and two more that we can't. And so we don't get too many. Okay. We get enough to last a week, and it's like every breakfast. Ah, oh, that's really good. Aren't so, you going to miss that when summer's over? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, we do. We miss it all the time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. Well, thank you for calling. It was good to hear from you. Oh, thank you. you. I was surprised that that you can even grow blueberries bushes up in Wisconsin. I would have thought, oh, my gosh, it's just too cold. Isn't that something? I, wow. It's just something. Yeah, I didn't realize how. Now, does it taste different? Because there's like I, northern high bush and southern high bush, and I would think the varieties are a little bit different there versus here. I don't know. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. I just I just thought that was very interesting. That is. My goodness. Oh, well, thanks. And right there in Roswell, they're doing great. They are. They are. <laughs> I encourage everybody to plant some. Yeah, for sure. I think One you need easiest. at least two. Yep. And antioxidants, they're good for you. They're easy. I mean, why not? Yeah, if you if you fail at tomatoes, then try blueberries. Right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Have a great Have a weekend. wonderful day. Thanks. Thank De you. Debbie, good to hear uh, from you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 
404-872-0750. All right, we'll go up to Brasselton and say good morning to Sam. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, I have some hospice that have grown really big, and I want to split them up and transplant them. When is a good time to do that? For me, visually, there's two really good times to do it. Um, in the fall, like because right now they're you know the the leaves are so big, it, they're kind of growing into one another, and it's kind of hard to determine where the the roots are. So I wait until a lot of the leaves start to die back, and you can really see the crown of the plant, the base of the plant, Sam. So maybe toward the end of summer, early fall, you can do it, or in the spring when they're just starting to poke up out of the ground, you know, and the leaves haven't unfurled yet, and you can see what the size of the host is going to be based on how many of those new little growth nodes you have coming up. I mean, if you have, you know, a, a little section where you've got eight or nine of them coming up right crowded together, you're like, yeah. oh, gosh, that's going to be a big hosta. That's going to be huge. Those, That's how I kind of determine which ones I want to go ahead and split and divide into even three parts, really. Um, so that yeah. that kind of gives you an idea, you know, of, of when you can do it and divide them is when they really start to die back or they're just coming out and you can see the base of the plant and the crown and just get in there with a sharp shovel, you know, get right in the middle or like I said, break it up by thirds or whatever, and then immediately replant them or give them away and they'll be good to go for the next year. Okay. One final question. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a rose vine that uh, when I bought it uh, at the nursery, it had yellow roses on it. I've had it for three years now and I haven't seen a single rose (laughs) Since I planted it, and it's getting plenty sun, uh, it's draining the pro, and the vine is growing like, oh my goodness, just constantly growing, but no, no roses. Hmm, that could be a number of thing, and I'm glad that you said that you're getting full sun because that's obviously going to be number one, the most important thing that it needs is sun. Um, I mean, it could be soil issues, like if the soil nutrition's just not right, you're fertilizing, okay. over-fertilizing, or maybe not fertilizing enough. So if you've never fed them, um, you may want to do that. Also, there's no kind of disease issue where you've got spots on the leaves or anything like that holding it no. back, right? No, none whatsoever. Okay. And then what about uh, pruning? What's your pruning routine, if at all? Uh, I do. I prune them. Well, I, I start to prune them now because the vines have grown so big, and I try to do it just uh, above a five-leaf. Uh, yes. Kind of my uh, rule of thumb. Yep. No, that's so, okay. That's good pruning. Yeah, prune back to the, the highest set of leaves you can find. If you're removing part of a branch, go down to like, you know, there may be a three-leaf cluster, there may be a five-leaf cluster, and then you're like, aha, that's where I want to cut. So you cut right okay. above that five-leaf cluster. That's good pruning. Um, and, you know, you don't want to prune it at the wrong time of year. Obviously, it's going to start setting buds before it blooms in the spring and the summer. So the later you wait into the winter okay. and early spring, you know, you may be cutting off potential buds. So I would do it after it's finished flowering or even, uh, you know, early winter is probably a good time to do it, too. Is maybe up to, okay. ugh, I would say, January or so. But just look very carefully at what you're pruning. That That's either going to be it. It's either going to be that or kind of a soil Uh, a soil issue maybe just use some organic rose fertilizer when it's in active growth is when we want to fertilize not now it's too late in the year but once it really starts leafing out nice yeah do an application of fertilizer and maybe that'll help boost it a little bit okay 
All right, very good. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for calling, Sam. Those are both great questions. I love it. 404-872-0750. More of your calls next time to check traffic and weather. We'll be right back. It's Ashley Frasca. You're listening to Greeny Growing on WSB. The update on your weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing and Channel 2 Chief Meteorologist Brad Nitz, who is in for Christina Edwards today. A 20% chance for a stray shower. My Alta tennis team is headed to city finals in Marietta. I'm going to go watch them as soon as I leave here. So hopefully the courts will stay dry because nothing is worse than having to dry the tennis courts before you play. And then you're tired. You're already tired after using a, a blower or a bunch of towels. It's awful. So it's going to stay dry for city finals. Uh, partly cloudy today, high of 92. So it's warming back up, high of 93 tomorrow. Scattered thunderstorms begin. The chance is 40% uh, tomorrow and into the work week as well. 404-872-0750. How about we keep keep it up? The phone calls are great. Keep them coming. Donna Indicator is up next. Good morning, Donna. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Good morning. I'm sorry I'm laughing because I've been there about drying tennis courts. It is so um, awful. And then everyone's like, call funny. your husbands and have them bring the blowers up to the courts. And that's as tedious as the towels. <laughs> that's so funny. Okay. We've all been there, right? And then you use the squeegee. I have to go off on a tangent, Donna. You use the squeegee and like sometimes that big roller doesn't even stay like balanced on the thing. So you're like trying to squeegee it and then the darn thing's like off to the left, off to the right. And I just give up. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> how about we just play tomorrow? <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. Well, here's Mike. As always, I love your show. Thank you. And what I also love, and I think today has shown it is more than anything, is that you, you are, we can always hear the smile in your voice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I love that. And that's nice to hear in, in uh, radio people. I'm not um, angry screaming at people on a Saturday morning. Nobody wants to wake right. up to that. <laughs> and if it makes you feel any better, I, too, set my alarm at a crazy time. Yes. But I have a different twist on it. I set, for some reason, I set my alarm clock. Um, it's 20 minutes fast. So I set my time to wake up at 7.20 in the morning. Well, see, so that keeps you on time. Whatever you have to do to get to to where you're going on time, I won't tell your boss. It's okay. Okay, here's my question. Um, This has to do with the proximity of of planning things. Okay. And, for example, um, I have a, a baby redbud growing right outside the corner near my deck, in the corner of my house. It's the the stalk, you know, the whatever, the thing that comes up is maybe two feet from the corner of my house. Wow. And I would love to let it keep growing for shade purposes on the deck, but I don't know if that's bad for the house because the roots could damage the house or their deck footings or something. You know, red buds don't have, I mean, of course, the root system is going to want to go out as wide as the canopy. So all the way out to the tips of the branches is how wide the root system wants to go. Mm-hmm. So I don't think as far as the strength, though, and vigor of a red bud, you know, like we think red buds and dogwoods, they're kind of smaller ornamental trees. It's mm-hmm. not going to be like an oak tree that's going to be, you know, going into your foundation. Over the years, it could become a problem. But right now, I don't think it's really a whole lot to worry about. Plus, I think once the roots kind of start to grow, hit the house or whatever, that's just going to send that much more out the opposite way. Okay, so because I don't know if root, when roots grow out or when they grow down. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, they they grow a lot wider than they do deep, for sure. That's why when we're talking in the fall about planting new trees and things, you always dig the hole a lot wider than deep. Because there's a few roots that are going to go deep, of course, but they stay kind of 
uh, you know, near the top layer of soil because they still need oxygen. They still need all the water and it's easier for them to get those things when they're really only, you know, four to eight inches under the, the, the dirt. So if it grows and matures to be a whatever, 20 foot tall, you know, red bud, that probably won't affect my house foundation or or things. I'm going to say no. I mean, you know, maybe in 30 years, 20 mm-hmm. years, uh, you know, you may want to get it looked at or, or the tree may just go into decline and that's going to solve the problem for you. Um, okay. I mean, if Can I ask an, one similar sure. question about a pencil holly? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of planting a pencil. I tend to call it pencil thin because of Jimmy Buffett's song. Pencil <laughs> holly. Um <laughs> Right next to my mailbox. So that would be right near the curb, you know, about 6 to 12 inches from the curb and a brick mailbox. And I was wondering, in this case, not that the holly would do damage, but if that's too close where its roots won't have a chance to grow and it would have impact the holly's growth. People. No, they do fine. I often see them right up against homes, um, yeah, near near structures and things like that, near someone's concrete steps or whatever. That's going to be fine. And they like the full sun. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to do well. Keep them watered consistently, not, you know, what what I mean by that is don't let them dry out and then be really, really wet and then dry out. And then, you know, just keep them, you know, bring the watering can up there if it's been really dry, especially in the establishment phase. And look out for like scale and aphids, though, Donna, once the leaves start to fall or if some of them start to turn yellow. My, I had a really bad problem with um, aphids on mine. So just be prepared, be on the lookout, because once a lot of those, you know, you only have so many branches on a sky pencil all holly and if you start to have branches die out then you're kind of left with not a very bushy plant um, mm-hmm. so keep a horticultural oil or a spray on hand if aphids become a problem but the healthier it is when you water consistently it's got the full sun that it wants hopefully it'll ward off any of those unwanted insects wonderful thank you so much yeah good to hear from you again thank you so much for calling this morning Thank you. All right. Love it. 404-872-0750. So a lot of you are relating to me this morning. I love that. The the drying the tennis courts and setting the alarm at a weird time. If any of you missed that, I was kind of talking about sleep, you know, that extra hour of sleep that I get on Saturday mornings coming in at six instead of having to be here at five like I am during the week. But uh, setting my alarm for a weird time, Monday through Friday, 318 and on Saturdays, 412. I can't explain it, but a lot of you do it too. <laughs> I'm not so weird. 404-872-0750 is the number. We'll come back and talk to Becky Griffin from the University of Georgia about the Great, great Southeast Pollinator Census. Roberta's got a question about a dogwood tree. Mike wants to ask about hibiscus plants, so we'll keep our ears peeled for those questions. And Dr. David Coyle from Clemson University about forest health, invasive species, all kinds of fun stuff with Dr. David Coyle when he's in studio at 8 o'clock. 95.5 WSB. 7.35, halfway through the show on a Saturday morning. Glad you're here. A lot of great calls and questions, and we're going to be getting right back to those. 404-872-0750. But you've heard me talking for a number of weeks now about the Great Southeast Pollinator Census coming up in mid-August, and the website 
for you to get involved, to read a little bit more. If you're listening in Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, this is something that you can do. It's so much fun. And the website is gsepc.org. So it's just the letters of Great Southeast Pollinator Census, gsepc.org. And the woman who started it all years ago, five, six years ago, Becky Griffin is on the phone with me now, the community and school garden coordinator, pollinator health associate for the University of Georgia. Hi. Good morning, Ashley. How are you doing this morning? I know you're a busy lady, and I am so glad you took the time to call this morning. Oh, always. And first, let me take a minute to congratulate you on your carathon. Wow, you guys did an amazing job. I know it is a big part of your Um, your heart to do this. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. A lot of work and effort and all of us getting together. And, you know, I I always brag about the staff because this is the one thing that we all love to do together. And the hosts and the digital team and the producers all just rally around this project. And it shows and the listeners do too. Scott Slade started it 23 years ago. Everybody knows and trusts Scott Slade, and and if it's a good cause, and he says it's a good cause, people generously open their wallets, and over $1.9 million goes to the Aflac Cancer and Blood Disorder Center. Thank you. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's a lot of money that can go a long ways to help kids that come from all over to Atlanta to get treated for their pediatric cancers and blood disorders, so that's huge. Um, So your schedule, Becky, when earlier in the show when I was going over you know, some of the events coming up around town. Of course, I was talking about the pollinator census, but you're also in the speaker series for Trees Atlanta. They're putting together like a pollinator census panel, right? Yes, that is going to happen on August the 15th Mm -hmm. down at their tree house. Um, If anybody's interested, it starts at seven. I am very honored to be on this panel with two other amazing conservationists, environmentalists. It should be a really fun evening, and I'm honored that Trees Atlanta is doing this. Yeah, Michael Hudgens is going to be on with you, and T. Povolani, I'm sure I'm not saying T's name right, but um, that's going to be really good, and that's open to the public. A lot of people are going to be interested in hearing what you guys have to say. Tell me really quickly, you know, five, six years ago, how did the idea for the pollinator census come up? Well, it's interesting. I, as the community and school garden coordinator, I traveled around visiting those type of gardens. And I was coming across gardeners who knew scads about soil health and right plant, right place, but maybe didn't know quite as much about the insect picture. At the same time, I was visiting the school gardeners and finding some of our wonderful teachers. You know, we have the best teachers in Georgia, but they weren't getting entomology training in college, so they weren't really excited about teaching about insects. So I tried to come up with a plan to combine those two things, an an educational component, and a way to generate data that's useful for researchers on our pollinator populations. And so that's really um, how the program began. We had two years of pilot projects, and then this is our fifth year of actually a serious uh, large-scale census. So um, it's grown. It's been fun. It is my passion project, as you know, Ashley, and I work on this all year long, although we only count two days. So, um, yeah, I'm busy uh, 24 (laughs) hours a day for the next two weeks. (laughs) It is so much work for you, I know. But even Governor Kemp tipped his hat to you acknowledging the importance of this and the work that you're doing by uh, signing a commendation for the Great Southeast Pollinator Census. And, you know, it was just in Georgia. You talked to your cohorts in other states and the fact that it's even grown up to three states and hopefully more in the future is such a big deal that it's gotten such traction thanks to you. 
Well, it's not me. Uh, I, I'm just one little tiny pin. Uh, people have really taken it on for themselves. Gardening groups, master gardeners, uh, community colleges, even the um, Daughters of the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. So I'm just one little pin. It, people have really adopted it as their own. Uh, Georgians are very proud it's in Georgia. So um, I just really am one small part. It is the people's project for sure. Well, let listeners know when they participate in this August 18th and 19th, like you said, it's just two days. But the work that's done in those two days and the data that's submitted is crucially important to to folks like you who really look at that and do a lot with that. Um, How easy it is for us to be citizen scientists? What's involved in me participating one or both of those days? Sure. Well, first of all, if you're very new to this and you really feel more comfortable going and counting with a group, um, there are events all over the state. Foodwell Alliance is sponsoring events this year. Our extension offices have events, our public gardens. So just follow us on social media and you will see that there has got to be an event near you. Now, that being said, if you live by yourself and you live on an island in Georgia and you want to participate, you can go to the website. You can download the resources about how to count and how to differentiate the individual insect categories. And then you basically find a plant in your yard that has showed some insect activity. Grab a chair, and I always advocate for a sweet tea because it's always hot in <laughs> August. And then take your uh, pencil and your counting sheet that you can print off or count on your phone. And for 15 minutes, count the insects that land on that plant and put them into one of the insect categories. So we're just asking for 15 minutes. Now, if you are loving this project, you could count on one day at an event. You could count in your yard that afternoon. You could count on a different plant the next day. Um, It's all what kind of involvement you want to have. And it's so easy, like you said, just plop down in a chair in front of a, a really active plant, a flowering plant, and there's so many this time of year. That's part of the reason why you choose for it to be in August. And classrooms can get in on this, too, because it's Friday and Saturday. Right, and it was designed that way as well. It can be a STEM program for your school. The resources that we provide educators um, are used for towards STEM certification, so they can get their classes involved. On the website, there are lesson plans. There are activity ideas for teachers. We've had um, over 100 schools participate, and some schools, actually, they go all out. They will take the insect mascots and make signs so as the kids are coming in on the buses, it says, today you make a difference. Let's oh. make the count count. And they play, we have a Spotify playlist, and they play it over the intercom. And it's just like pollinator day. You know, <laughs> it's, it's everybody is, is on fire. I've had a teacher show up dressed in bee costumes. So like I said before, this is, I may have started it, but boy, others have taken it over. That is great. August 18th and 19th. So the website is gsepc.org. So the letters for Great Southeast Pollinator Census, and you have to do .org. And when you go to count at the top of the page, Becky, you mentioned the documents and things folks need, the counting page. So we can print that off and it shows us kind of what the insect categories are. Just make tally marks in that 15 minutes. And then what do I do with that? Do I actually have to enter my data onto a website or do I fax you or scan a copy of my counting page? What do I do with it? On the day that the uh, that morning of the 18th is very exciting, we will open the portal and people can start uploading their counts. It's very simple. It's a very simple uh, form. 
um, you'll be asked weather data. You know, is it raining? Is it, oh, please, no rain. Is it sunny? Is it, what's the temperature? Uh, what plant have you counted on? And then upload your counts. It's simple, very easy. And uh, that portal will actually open on the 18th. You will have three weeks to upload your data. And we have that extra time because event leaders will be collecting these. And, they, and teachers will be collecting their sheets. And they'll want some extra time to make sure they get those counts in. Now, I'm working on something very special for you as far as you mentioned no rain. Please, no rain. So we're going to have some uh, special opportunities from some famous folks to let uh, everybody know what the weather is going to be doing that weekend. So a nod to the pollinator census from some of our meteorologists. Um, A, what do the pollinators do when it's raining, Becky? And B, does there have to be a rain date in case we get rained out? All right, good questions, both of those. And um, these are going to be hypotheticals because it will not yes, rain right. this year. Um, <laughs> what pollinators do when it rains is they don't fly. And if you think about the a size of a bee, if a bee is flying and a raindrop hits a small bee, Ow. you know, that's a big problem. And a lot of our bees navigate by the sun. So if it's a rainy day, not only will people not want to get out, but the insects won't want to get out as well. And we have had rain in the past, and we have opened up the next Sunday um, for accounting as well. But I really am, you know, I am um, I'm hoping that your meteorologists have some really great forecasts for me that will have sunshine and clear skies for those pollinators. We're going to plan that for you. Okay, so one more time, Becky Griffin, give us the website and give us how to follow you on Facebook. Sure. So the website is gsepc.org. Uh, we are the Southeast Pollinator Census on Facebook. We have loads of educational information people can pull and use in their classrooms. We're about to start insect quizzes, so um, sharpening those skills. And we're also Southeast Pollinators on Instagram. Wonderful. Well, Becky Griffin, congratulations. We're ready for a big fifth year doing this and bringing North Carolina and South Carolina in on it, too. That's a great, great feat on your part and everyone getting excited and participating. So thank you so much for calling, my friend. Well, thank you, as always, for your support of this program. It would not be what it is without your support. So thank you, and have a great rest of your show. You too. Thank you so much for all the hard work you're putting in. Becky Griffin, traveling the state, everybody telling you how to do this and getting folks excited about it. I'm so grateful for that. All right, time to jump out to the phones before we have to take a break. Judy calling from Marietta. Hey, Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh Um, I have a suggestion uh, for an alternative way of dealing with the birds in the blueberry bushes. Okay. Um, I had a bad experience with netting quite a few years back, and I started using these uh, little wind spinners that children use. You know, you you blow them and they spin around and they're metallic colored. Yeah. And um, I took um, Velcro type um, fastener type tape and taped them. Longitude, I mean, uh, you know, sideways okay. uh, on the stems. And the wind, you know, and the, the color and the, the movement kept the birds away. And uh, now if you have a lot of blueberries and they're real tall, you might not want to go through all that trouble. But it worked for me, and um, I don't use as many spinners. This was like six, seven years ago. Huh. And I don't use as many spinners anymore, and I think the birds just, you know, don't even go there that much but it worked for me and if you use those cds and sometimes those cds are metallic colored Mm -hmm. and if you um put a hole in them and use fish line and you tie them on uh in certain places where they can spin freely that also that movement and that color 
keeps the birds away. So just getting those so little pinwheels it, from the dollar store or Walmart or something yeah, like that. Right. And then you've and got I, some... Yeah, I only paid a buck a piece for yeah. the spinners. I mean, I, I think I paid less than that. They were on sale. Wow. And then you've got some yard art, too. You've got some color. You've got some Yeah, motion. I mean, like, and some people might not want to do that and go through all that, but um, <laughs> that netting... Uh, that was horrible. A black snake got caught in it yep. on, the, on the bottom, we and it took me about same. a half an hour to cut him loose. Yeah, we had that same thing happen, and my husband took at least 20 minutes to cut a snake yeah, loose, and I, the whole time I'm worried he's going to bite. Well, if you uh, put your foot, uh, your uh, get down on your knee, and you you put your foot on his tail, and you hold him by the throat uh, underneath the head, <laughs> uh, it, it can't bite. But it took the tongue got all stuck in the netting. That oh, was awful. Gosh. Had a cuticle scissors, and I I got him out, and he, he got a, and I oh, let him go. Bless he, you he, for doing that. He was so he, grateful. He lived. <laughs> yeah. Well, Judy, great suggestion. Thank you for that alternative thinking. I like that. Okay, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, we get so creative as gardeners. What we do to maintain our landscape and keep the rodents and the unwanted things away, we'll go to great lengths, and sometimes it turns out really pretty, really neat. Uh, Dr. David Coyle is in studio with me, so we'll be chatting with him from just a moment. Drove all the way from the Georgia-South Carolina line just to join you guys for the last hour of the show. So stay tuned. It's green and growing. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. So I said he was here. I'm not alone. I'm with Dr. David Coyle in the studio. Hi, Dave. Good morning, Ashley. How are you doing? You're our favorite, Dave. Oh, stop it. Dave Baker's out there, and he already (laughs) called and harassed us this morning. (laughs) So you traveled a long ways, and I so appreciate it. We love when you come on and we get to talk about really cool bugs, what you're doing out in the forest. I mean, other than like conventions and talks and things like that, you actually just get to go play in the woods for fun. You know, sometimes it's not as much as I'd like to. There's a lot of uh, administrative duties with this type of gig. But yeah, no, it's it's a good... Good position. I think it's important for me to be out there so I know what people are talking about and I can relate. And yeah, I saw this and I saw that and I've experienced that. So it's important for me to be out there. Yeah, we definitely want to talk about that. And I I spoke to uh, Ian from the U.S. Geological Survey last weekend talking about invasives and the motions of hurricanes. We're in hurricane season, bringing in all kinds of invasive and just non-native uh, aquatic life and insects and things like that. And that made me think of you. So we'll talk about more of the common things that we're seeing. Uh, I've got a caller who we may be able to help this morning. Terry calling from North Carolina. No way. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Thank oh, you for taking my call. I, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in your great state coming up, and I just absolutely love it. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. What is your question? What is bugging you, literally? Spiders. Um, I can put on insect repellent and uh, keep the mosquitoes off. But when I'm working in my garden, which I love to do, uh, spiders seem to jump on my clothes and crawl under the sleeves of my T-shirt or down the back of my neck. And I wondered if there was any suggestion as to how to keep spiders off of me because their bites are really painful. Yeah, and you're actually seeing them, so you know it is the bite of a spider. Yes, yeah, you're yes seeing I do. Spider. So, uh, Dave, you spend a lot more time outside than I do, and I would think this is kind of like ticks, too. I mean, how do we keep these things off of us? Yeah, I think the, you know, the best thing you can do is do whatever you would do for ticks. So use the right, uh, you know, any type of uh, repellent and tuck, tuck the sleeve, you know, tuck your sleeves in, long sleeved Into uh, the shirts. garden gloves. Yeah, into mm-hmm. the gloves, tuck your, you know, socks or pants into your socks. I know it looks funny, but hey, it keeps <laughs> stuff off you. 
uh, just physically protecting yourself is probably the best advice I could give for something like that. Yeah, and all the DEET products, you mm-hmm. know, of course, are very, very good at repelling um, ticks. So I would right. believe the same chemicals are probably effective against spiders as well. Right, and there's some good, there's some good sprays now. I think it's permethrin that you actually spray on your clothes, and so they're designed to be sprayed on your pant legs and that type of thing. So those work really well. I've used those in the past and had really good success with those. Um, you know, compared to colleagues that didn't use them working side by side, it was a drastic difference at the end of the day. So some of those products work pretty well. Uh, it sounds like it's just a case of, you know, physically protecting your skin from whatever is out there. Yeah. And you make a good point, though, being able to spray those on your clothing as well. I mean, not just because mm-hmm. then our skin's covered. If we're, you know, fully clothed, then what good is it on your skin? So when you're actually putting it on your clothes, yep. the spiders are hopefully just going to like jump on, jump off. Yeah. And I think that's the point. I mean, they get on there, they can sense it, and then they just kind of jump off, and then that's the end of it. Oh, Terry, I really hope that helps for you because I know nothing's worse than uh, really wanting to be out in the yard and having to cut your time short from uh, from insects. So thank you for the call. And what are you what are you out there working on? Are you in the vegetable garden? Are you flowers? What are you doing? Uh, flower gardens, roses and perennials and lots of shrubs in my uh, old yard. And uh, so there's constant need for cutting things back and trimming up and pulling weeds. So uh, <laughs> do a little of everything. Now, have you but seen that? The, oh, go ahead. I think the advice of spraying my clothes is a wonderful idea. I love that. If that's something we haven't tried, we'll, we'll do that. And like he said, too, you look silly as all get out. And I've never looked attractive gardening. <laughs> I know this. But t- uh, tucking those sleeves into the garden gloves, the pant legs into the boots. And uh, real quick before I let you go, Terry, have you seen the Joro spider yet this year? Big, ugly, yellow, and black guy? I have not seen that. Okay, that's good. No, they're not that ugly. Come on, Ashley. Well, I mean, it could be a thing of beauty. It could be terrifying to some people. I don't know. They're pretty interesting. We'll talk about that because that's something that we haven't talked about as much for the last couple of years as we did. Boy, when it was first really getting noticed in Georgia, 2017, 2018, people were freaking out. So maybe now it's kind of like, oh, yeah, he's back. They're they're back every year. Thanks, Terry. 404-872-0750. Happy to have Dave Coyle in studio with me for the next hour. So you got to stay tuned. It's going to be entertaining on 95.5 WSB. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.